Um, I've been here quite a long time, but I think most of you know me now. Okay, so I'd like you to imagine something, please. It's a small present. Picture what it looks like all wrapped up. And I tell you, it is going to do incredible things for you. It will bring your family together. You'll feel loved and appreciated. Friendships will be deepened. And you'll reconnect with people who you haven't heard from in ages. You'll meet lots of new people. You'll have a long holiday to chill out. You'll eat lovely meals and there'll be no housework. You'll be challenged, inspired, motivated and humbled. And you'll be filled with peace, happiness and feelings of calm. It will recalibrate what is most important in your life. It'll strengthen your faith and you'll hear God speaking clearly. Does anybody like the sound of that? It sounds awesome, doesn't it? Well, this gift came to me five years ago, but it looked a little bit more like this. Yep, this is me with a broken back in a brace. I made a good and healthy choice. I went for a run to get fit and be healthy and came home broken. And while I'm okay now, I wouldn't wish this gift for you. I'm not sure you'd want it, but I wouldn't change my experience. It profoundly altered my life in the ways I didn't expect. In fact, all the ways I've just shared with you. It ended up being the most amazing time. I do actually have a photo, but I haven't put it up, of it having been blinged up by my children with stars and sparkles and sequins because they thought it needed a bit of bling. Okay, so we're looking at 1 Peter at the moment. So 1 Peter is a letter from Peter to the Christians who have been dispersed throughout the ancient world and were under intense persecution. In our passage today, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 3, 8 to 22, which we'll look at in a moment. Peter gives us some advice about how we deal with suffering for doing good. Not suffering in general or suffering for being a Christian, just suffering for making a good choice. We know that Jesus suffered during his life on this earth. We remember his loneliness and temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, the humiliation and torture he suffered as he made his way to Calvary, and of course, his crucifixion. So if Jesus suffered so much in his earthly life, I wonder why, as Christians, we hesitate to expect suffering for doing good in our own lives, and we're always a little surprised by it. So we're going to look at our passage. So first of all, we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, verses 8 to 12. Caroline, if you could pop that up for me, that would be brilliant. And it says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from, the, from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. 
They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So firstly, Peter calls us to be peacemakers. He highlights both the way we are to relate to one another within the Christian family and the way we are to respond to persecution we experience at the hands of what is sometimes a very hostile world. Very often, honourable conduct will win respect, but sometimes it invokes hostility. So in the church, um, this is a place where Christians seek to humble themselves, to serve one another and to show compassion. Verse 8 says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. It's very easy for those words just to roll off our tongues, isn't it? But actually putting that into practice is not always so easy. As Christians, we are all children of the same Heavenly Father. We are therefore a people or a brotherhood or in our case at Oasis, a sisterhood. As members of the same family, it is right that we love one another. We are much more than a club or supporters of the same team. We are family. Whilst we may not always agree with each other, we share and pursue a common goal, and that's a relationship with God. We laugh with those who laugh, and we mourn with those who mourn. When you are suffering, I am not simply thanking my lucky stars that it is you and not me who's suffering. But I am to enter into the experience with you and to journey it with you. I wonder how many church quarrels would have been avoided if Christians pursued this unity of goal and mind. How much more attractive would the church look to outsiders if they observed us sharing one another's burdens and joys? Even when persecuted for doing good, we are called to follow the example of Christ, knowing that God wants us to preserve, persevere in doing good, and that he will bless us for doing so. Verse 9 states, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. I'm very aware that this is a different version Um, Do not retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. The world will often admire the Christian life, but not always. Sometimes, even when Christians live honorably, they will be opposed. Even in those circumstances, Peter says, the believer is to keep their conduct pure. Far from retaliating, we are to imitate Jesus and bless others instead. Now, to bless someone is to ask God to bestow his favour and grace upon them. Now, our natural reaction when someone either speaks or acts against us is to seek to get our own back or to teach the offender a lesson, to stand up for our rights and to obtain immediate justice. Nevertheless, it makes sense to heed Peter's advice. There is no greater blessing, no greater prize than the blessing of God. To demonstrate further the logic of verse 9, Peter introduces a quotation from Psalm 34. The psalm reflects on David's experience in 1 Samuel 21, when he's persecuted despite his righteous behaviour. 
In the psalm, David recounts his experience of the Lord's deliverance and encourages other believers to take refuge in the Lord and continue a life of doing good even when opposed. Peter sees a clear parallel with the situation of his own readers. The blessing that the believer enjoys from God is both temporal and eternal. In the present, the eyes of the Lord are on me and his ears are attentive to my prayers. Eternity, eternally, I inherit life. Do I really believe that it is better to suffer unjustly and know God's blessing than to live at peace without it? How highly do we prize the favour of the Lord, the privilege of prayer, and indeed eternal life itself? Where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So we're going to move on and look at verses 13 to 17 now. Caroline, if I could have that up, that would be brilliant. So who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. (laughs) For the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So when somebody is suffering, we want to do whatever we can to comfort them and to ease their pain. Peter advises us in these verses. Even the suffering of, I mean, even the experience of unjust suffering is not an exception to the rule. Because Christians who suffer unjustly know God's blessing and favour. It is worth noting that as Peter addresses the subject of unjust suffering, he assumes that it's a potential problem for all Christians, including us, and not just for those in slavery. Christians who suffer unjustly are to remain assured of God's ongoing and eternal blessing. So firstly, we are not to fear man. We are to guard against the temptation to fear those who have the potential to harm us. Instead, we are to fear Christ. In Isaiah, the Lord encouraged his faithful and oppressed people to deliver him, um, to fear him instead, and to trust in his promise of ultimate deliverance. Peter's readers are now to do the same. Now, I, for one, find this a lot easier said than done. Secondly, we must be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us about our hope. This command is the missing logical link between just general good conduct and witnessing. As people witness Christians persevering in good living, even in the face of suffering, they ask those Christians about their hope and their relationship with Jesus. And thirdly, we must maintain godliness. We are to speak of our hope in a godly and honourable way. The respect that Peter encourages is in fact a fear of God, while the gentleness speaks of an attitude and manner towards others. Okay, so moving on to our last uh, section of this passage, which is uh, verses 18 to 22. If I could have those, Caroline, that'd be great. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism, uh, baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So such suffering might have made the Christians at the time of Peter's writing question where God was. However, as they persevered in living good lives in a hostile world, they experienced the grace of God. If they were to stand firm in this grace, they would need to keep their eyes fixed on the example of Christ, not only in his suffering, but also in his resurrection and ascension to glory. So looking at these verses, they begin with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and they end with his exaltation. Whilst Christians may be the victims of injustice, we need to remember that we ourselves are the unjust ones for whom Jesus had to die. His death accomplished its intended purpose, to bring us to God. Christians who suffer as those who are apart from uh, Christians do not suffer as those who are apart from God. They suffer as those who have been brought to him. This point would be particularly encouraging to Peter's suffering readers. Our intimacy with God is not dependent on either our performance or our circumstances, but on Jesus' death. Christians who suffer unjustly have nothing to fear. We can persevere because of our union in Jesus. He too suffered unjustly, but now reigns in glory. As those who benefit from his death and resurrection, we can stand firm, knowing that our temporary suffering will also end in glory. So some of you may know that in 2014, I was sexually assaulted in Leamington. It was a very minor offence. In fact, it was more of an inappropriate behaviour than anything else. And other than feeling a little shaken up, I was fine. However, I went to the police... Not because I felt it really warranted their intervention, but just in case it was part of a bigger investigation. And it turned out it was. That man was convicted of sexual assault against me and two local children. This actually turned out to be one of those gifts, like the gift I talked about at the beginning. I learned how Leamington Police would respond to reporting something of that nature. I learned they listened and crucially believed me. I knew they were professional. I knew they were caring and compassionate. And it was with this information that I wouldn't otherwise have had that I felt I should report the man who had abused me for years as a child. I knew there was a good chance I would be believed, but also I felt it was the right thing to do. It was the good, if difficult, choice to make. Now, it was a pretty turbulent and stressful time. 
I ripped the lid off those things that we don't speak about and had some very uncomfortable conversations with family. I got anxious the closer to the trial we got and dreaded giving evidence. In fact, I was quite terrified of seeing him. I had flashbacks and panic attacks and generally felt pretty fearful. I wasn't sleeping well. In fact, I questioned everything every day. What if he broke bail? What if he found me? What if he found my kids? Had his firearms license really been revoked? But most of all, I questioned, what was I doing and was it all worth it? Whilst I knew I was doing the right thing, it really, really didn't feel good at the time. It was very difficult. However, that said, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind it was the right thing to do. And you know what? God showed up and he worked through it. I had to lean on him far more than I'd ever had to. And I was blessed in so many ways. I have an understanding and compassionate boss. I had a brilliant police detective. My family came together in support of one another. I had loyal friends who walked every step of the way with me, two of whom actually have become more like sisters now. And there was a last-minute guilty plea. And there was healing and release of fear for both me and two other women. Now, was it difficult to go through? Yes, it flipping well was. Was it the right thing to do? Yes, it was. And would I do it again? Absolutely, yes. Okay. I would dare to call it a gift as I was blessed in so many ways through it. So the next time we're faced with something that is perhaps unexpected, unwanted and uncertain, perhaps we can consider it might just be a gift, a blessing even. Peter calls us to be peacemakers, to bless those who hurt us, to fear Christ, not man, to maintain godliness and to have an answer for the hope that we have. And we can do all of that in union with Jesus, living in the light of his victorious resurrection. And that is huge. God is bigger than anything we may or may not go through. So I'm going to close in prayer now. Because I think this is a big thing to pray for, quite frankly. Dear God, uh, thank you so much for the hope we have in you. Thank you that you have won the battle and that you reign victorious. Thank you that we can walk in relationship with you and that you understand exactly what it is like for life to be difficult when we're making good choices. Thank you that you reign over everything and that whatever we're journeying through, we can lean on you. Amen.